1: It helps expose the lies of the capitalist press and puts the voices of the marginalised and the oppressed at the centre of fighting for a better world and helps us understand the political developments unfolding around us.
0: Good morning, listeners. You are listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. And you are joined today by myself, Jacob Andwaffer.
2: And Chloe, good morning.
0: So before we start, I would like to acknowledge that Green Left Radio today is being broadcast to you from the wandry land of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to acknowledge that this always was, always will be Aboriginal land and that sovereignty has never been ceded. And FreeCR and Green Left Radio is committed to supporting our First Nations sovereignty and all the struggle and struggles of all First Nations people across the world against colonisation. Okay, so um, we actually have um, we have quite we, we have quite a big we have quite a, uh, a, a packed kind of program today. I wonder if Chloe yeah. wanted to sort of yeah, give uh, a bit of an overview of what we have coming up.
2: People a rundown. We've got a good show, so. we've got an interview with Dr. Mongzani, who is a Burmese scholar and activist who is currently living in exile uh, and being a voice against the Rohingya genocide, and he's joining us from London live, and then at 7.45, we have an interview with Mambir Kohil, who is a member of the Indian community, to share some of his thoughts on Modi's visit to Australia, and then at 8.10, we have an interview with Margaret Kelly, who lives in the Barack Beacon public housing estate that is at risk of being bulldozed. But before our first interview, we'll get into some news headlines. Jacob?
0: So to, um, to go, just to give a bit of a summary of, of some kind of, you know, some prominent sort of political developments that have, I guess, happened in, I guess, the past week – I'm I'm not sure if anyone had, um, watched Q&A, uh, this, um, on, on Monday, but what was probably, um, what was kind of significant and what has been sort of dominating the headlines has been, um, the resignation of Stan Grant, um, you know, First Nations, um, ABC journalist. And one of the, one of the one of the sort of main reasons that he has resigned is because of the experiences of of racism that he kind of, um, that he incurred when he appeared on a show discussing the kin's coronation. But it's, I guess it goes a bit kind of deeper than that. It goes, one of the main reasons that he's resigned is the fact is the kind of failure of, you know, the ABC leadership And, you know, the people on the top for actually, actually standing by and actually defending him from, from the, some of these racist attack, um, from some of these, this racial kind of abuse. And so, yeah, he's a, he's essentially, you know, he's resigned from, um, he's resigned for, for the time being. And, and I guess he hopes to kind of get back to things. But I think it does kind of raise a lot of kind of discussions about, you know, about racism in everyday society, um, and I think it's actually quite analogous to the, Ada, the Adam Goods situation in a lot of ways, because, um, you know, Adam Goods received a lot of racial abuse, um, you know, for standing by his First Nations heritage, um, especially from, um, from in the stadiums. And the fact that the AFL, you know, absolutely did nothing in terms of standing by him and actually defending him, I think was, I think it's quite disgraceful. Now, some other news stories, and this is following on from an interview that we did last Friday with, um, Adele Welsh from the Geelong Women's Network. But the, the whole campaign against the closure of libraries within, within Geelong is actually starting to, is heating up. And in fact, on May 20th and May 21st, there was actually more than 500 people protested, um, outside, uh, outside the library, outside these two libraries, with the biggest being outside Geelong West Library. Now this is, this is I think a pretty, actually a pretty kind of significant campaign in a lot of ways. Um, because it's actually, it kind of gets into the heart of a, of a lot of kind of issues, especially the issues of fighting for essential services. You know, the fact that the local council is willing to kind of cut, you know, such an essential service like libraries, I think is pretty disgraceful. And while, you know, they are making kind of the excuse of, you know, the state government not giving them proper funding, etc. and while I think, you know, I think we should be criticising um, the state government for cutting funding from, from, from local councils, I still don't think that actually, in a sense, makes it, um, it creates justification for the local councils to cut such essential services, because these, yeah, these are essential services for the community, um, and actually, as someone who actually grew up in Geelong, I actually have a bit of a I think I have a bit of attachment to some of the libraries mm-hmm. that are, actually have are kind of threatened um, with closure. In fact, one of the libraries that actually is being threatened with closure is actually one of the, um, the busiest ones. Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> kind of wonder what, um, what um, if they if they're targeting these libraries, what's sort of next on the on the kind of shopping block, it, um, so to speak. It's
2: great that more than five hundred people came out to protest the closure of those two libraries.
0: Hmm. And um, the campaign is actually being led really well by the Australian Services Union. Um, so we'll possibly have a bit more updates, um, having more discussions with them in on future kind of programs. Now, the, probably the other, the other, the other thing that sort of, uh, the other kind of notable kind of thing that happened in, in, in the past, uh, in the past week was actually the visit by, by Modi, the prime minister of India. Um, now, we're going to have a bit more we're going to have a bit more of a longer kind of discussion with um, manbir about this but i think just a few comments i sort of sort of make quickly before uh move on is i think i i think there's a lot of hypocrisy from the albanese government from kind of like this open sort of fraternizing with with modi i mean modi as we'll kind of go into the interview is he's very much guilty he's very much you know, the subject of a lot of human rights abuses mm. of a very authoritarian, um, very authoritarian politics, and of course, these Western governments will op- openly sort of talk about, you know, we have democratic sort of values, and they'll go on about how we have to criticise countries like, you know, China and um, Russia, which obviously, you know, obviously those countries are not, not shouldn't be free of critique, but it really does show the hypocrisy when you have Anthony Albanese going on the stage and referring to. Uh, Modi as the boss oh, yeah. and I think you know there's a i think you know there's a it's a, it's actually they're openly you know you know standing with actual you know fa, actually fascistic, Fascist, yeah. fascistic politicians Yeah, so, it
2: is worrying that Modi actually received this kind of superstar welcome if people saw the crowds there to greet him um you know it, you know he is the leader of a right wing ruling party the bjP that advocates Hindutva hate—that is an anti-woman Islamic ideology and
0: Islamic uh, 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 sorry
2: Islamophobic sorry uh, ideology—and we should be standing in solidarity with the victims of of the Modi regime and calling on the government to provide safe havens to to Muslims fleeing the persecution in India, not um, welcoming him.
0: But yeah, we'll go, we'll have a bit more of a discussion with actually a member of the Indian community who is very critical of the Modi government. So I'll just go play a quick few announcements. Um, you're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR 855 AM. The
2: fears are Palestinian scarves and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes kafiyas, and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organizations. From the traditional black and white kafiyas to an array of modern designs, all scarves are $35 each. Explore the range and order online, or drop by 3CR during business hours. Wear your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to au. that's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au, a 3CR supporter.
1: I still remember my favorite team.
0: If you're a charity or community group looking for office space or a co-working space, Ross House has rooms of different sizes available, from 15 metres squared to 100 metres squared at affordable prices. Many charity groups already call Ross House home, so if you're interested in joining a vibrant community or working towards social justice and environmental sustainability, please visit rosshouse.org.au or contact reception during office hours.
1: I still remember my favourite teacher. They taught me to believe in myself. Some of our teachers were so inspiring. Why wouldn't you want to be like them? I'm three years into my degree, and I can already see it was the right decision
2: for me.
3: Study to become one of 4,000 new teachers across Victoria with a career that... I'm
2: just going to introduce Mongzani, who is a Burmese scholar, writer, organiser, and revolutionary with over three decades of experience in international politics and activism. He co-founded and led Free Burma Coalition, Free Rohingya Coalition, and Forces of Renewal Southeast Asia, and he's now living in exile. He joins us now from London. Welcome to the show, Dr. Mongzani.
4: Thank you for having me.
2: Uh, uh, Mongzani, can you start by describing the state of the struggle in Burma right now?
4: Um. Well, we are in the second year of um, you know the anti-coup armed um, resistance, um, civil disobedient movement, and that was joined by um, you know the overwhelming majority of uh, you know Burmese public service uh, personnel or civil servants, uh, teachers, doctors, uh, nurses. Um, as well as accountants and others and then and some units of uh or I shouldn't say units but as you know some members of the armed forces as well as the uh, uh police forces has also join in and uh, at the moment um you know the uh the earlier predictions or projections by different uh, you know, Burma watchers or uh you know, the NGO analysts and others, um, you know, their prediction or projection that um you know the Burmese armed forces um whose commander in chief staged the coup back in February two thousand and twenty one, um was all too powerful uh to you know to um uh, for the democratic uh, resistance um you know to be able to topple and it now like the um the expertly projections have to be radically revised because uh, the resistance movement uh, you know despite not having any meaningful support from any neighboring countries or like uh, democratic um, countries around the world including Australia, um, are gaining serious grounds. And I will get to that in a minute. And so the, the, the resistance going on, and that's on the side of, uh, uh, the, the anti coup, uh, the political, uh, actors. But there's also another one that, uh, we don't, um, you know, talk very much about or we don't hear much from the international media. There is, um, you know this social and revolutionary side of uh, this uh, two-year-old uh, resistance movement. I mean, the Generation Z or, the, or Generation Z uh, um, that have become so unhappy with the uh, the old racist, uh, sexist, homophobic, and uh, you know other regressive uh, values and. Cultural practices that the Burmese society as a whole uh, have perpetuated, and so they are now uh, pushing for, uh, you know, n- a new type of inclusive and, um, you know, humane t- um, um, social relations among uh, different communities as well as uh, within the activist and revolutionary communities, and so. So there are two things that are going on. One is armed resistance uh, 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 supplemented by uh, civil disobedient movement of civil servants. Um, then like cultural boycott of the military and, and its economic uh, uh, products. And then the other one, which is, uh, in my view, is equally important, is a social revolution that attempt to, build a a different type of society that is worthy of a a democratic, um, you know, system
0: hey mon. um mon so going into 'm going to guess the kind of next question um, since the military um, coup and the horrific kind of repression, can you speak to us i guess about the importance of unity between the different minority groups when fighting against the military and I guess expanding on that has there been recognition among other groups of the need to include the rohingya in the in the struggle because I guess before the before the, this protest movement um, emerged, very little spoke out against um, the Rohingya genocide. And I guess, yeah, what are your, some of your comments on, I guess, all those kind of um, questions?
4: Oh yeah, I mean, the, I mean, firstly, um, the, you know, the, um, the the listeners need to understand that uh, Burma, like many other uh, post um, you know Second World War or post colonial um, you know the countries. Um, are made up of uh, multiple ethnic nations, right? So it's not necessarily just like majority versus minority. It's like, you know, the, the different um, ethnic communities coming together uh, as, uh, you know, the groups are, worthy of uh, equal rights or like entitled to group equality, not simply uh, basic human rights. And so the, um, that's the, the what the coup has done um uh, you know uh, is it galvanized uh, you know the, the different ethnic nations to uh, uh you know to come to oppose the um, the universally unpopular coup because uh, you know for for the last uh, you know 10 years or so before the coup um that you know the country was um, you know opening up both politically and economically uh, you know, although the political opening, uh, was not, you know, entirely satisfactory because the military, uh, you know, wrote itself into the constitution, um, you know, claiming that it, it is the, essentially the guardian of the sovereignty and the protector of the nation and, and the, the, the constitution, the military wrote, um, you know, um, um, a, a preemptively uh, legalize any military coup against democratically govern, uh, the re-elected governments. And so, yes, the, the, the coup has um, brought together a disparate um, um, cluster of different ethnic nations, and uh, just about every single uh, major ethnic uh, uh, population has an established armed resistance organizations we call them ethnic armed organizations eao or like if they are more actively involved in uh, uh engaging militarily against the military we call them ethnic resistance or revolutionary organizations and so um and so that is positive uh the the negative uh is um the uh, <clears throat> on the uh, rohingya uh, the uh, you know issue and the need for uh, the, both the mainstream buddhist uh, burmese majority society and uh, non uh, you know uh, majoritarian ethnic nations or national communities inside burma coming together and uh, you know uh, embracing the rohingya uh not simply as victims of the genocide but as equal um uh, you know ethnic nation or ethnic community so that has not really uh the taking place as of uh today then so in my view it is rather um you know outrageous that um a, a society that has been subject to a series of like uh, multiple you know uh, um atrocities by the current um uh, uh, military regime has not really uh come to terms with the fact that um, they were uh involved in the in the genocide led by the military and um, you know the military continues to be on this uh, violent path and the society needs to t- uh, you know take a step back and say we need to Apologize to the Rohingyas as a society. We need to re-embrace them. We need to stand up for them. We need to integrate them into the mainstream uh, political and uh, armed uh, revolution. And so that has not happened. Uh, the, to my, uh, you know, deep uh, dismay as a um, you know Burmese uh, Buddhist and uh, genocide um, uh, scholar and, and campaigner um, against the uh, you know racially motivated. Uh, state-directed violence that we called um, uh, genocide.
2: For listeners tuning in, we are speaking to Mong Zani, a Burmese human rights activist, and talking to us about the military repression and Rohingya genocide. Mong Zani, during the last forum you attended here, you spoke of Aung San Suu Kyi, who who was the leader of the National League for Democracy, the NLD, and you mentioned that had she spoken out in 2012 she could have stopped the genocide because she was very popular and, and the people trusted her. We'd just like to know more of your thoughts on this.
4: Yeah, in um, to, to you know the, and the genocides were not a crime of passions. Uh, genocides were uh, you know crimes that are organized, are uh, premeditated. Um, the public opinion has to be mobilized against a target community. Um, the infrastructure of, uh, you know, hatred and racism has to be established. And the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, you know, back in, you know, 2012, um, you know, when she was feated around the world as this, um, you know, Asian. Uh, you know, the Mandela, you know, uh, in, in the female uh, figure of Aung San Suu Kyi. Um, and then, you know, she's been likened with Martin Luther, Luther King Jr., um, Mahatma Gandhi and all these, um, you know, um, the iconic, um, you know, non-violent and, uh, non-violent and, and armed revolutionary leaders of the past. And she, you know, the, the world thought, um, she could walk on water and the, the you know the, the the overwhelming majority of Burmese public call her mother, the mother of the people, and uh you know she could move mountains so that you know that kind of moral authority yeah, granted that she was not uh in charge of uh, uh the Burmese state she was not you know in charge of the uh, the armed forces but nonetheless uh what comes what came out of her mouth. Was treated biblically, uh, by both the international community at the time and, um, uh, the, the, particularly the Burmese, uh, the Buddhist majority in the country, right? Um, and she, she could have, uh, redirected, uh, public t- frustration, uh, you know, the, uh, um, uh, the, the sentiments of, uh, uh, discontent over uh, the economic uh, um, uh, hardships and also you know uh, the 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 ongoing uh you know the uh, the, the denial of like you know, the freedom and uh, other uh, basic uh, rights uh, uh in the country and instead um she uh, kept initially um the silent and then later when she opened her mouth she started um uh, essentially approvingly of, uh, you know, the, uh, the violence against a Muslim, you know, like a, pope, you know, then like in 2013 or 14, I think like 2013, um, she was on the, uh, uh, the, uh the, the flagship BBC radio and a TV program uh, called Radio Four, um, you know, telling, uh, basically normalizing, um, you know uh the 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 violence by saying that oh yeah muslims uh, uh against muslim violence and also like you know the, the burmese people are fearful of uh, uh the what they perceive as uh, the rise of global muslim power that kind of language uh which reinforced the uh, pre-existing islamophobia and uh, uh, you know uh, the, the also reinforced the military uh, the military perspective that the, um, you know, the, 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 growth of Muslim population in particular region of Western Myanmar, uh, posed a threat to national security. So, so she fell into that uh, line of, uh, public discourse. And instead of like steering the public opinion, uh, along the lines of like, you know, uh, the, the the liberal humanist uh, values and perspective uh, human rights and democratisation she allowed the military and the, uh, the ultra nationalist uh, uh, the Buddhist organisations and demagogues to frame the muslims uh, you know which the particularly the the rohingyas are only you know like about roughly 2 or 2.5 uh, million out of 55 million um total population. And so she, so I think like, you know, the, the she could have, uh, nipped uh, this mobilization of hatred and racism against the Muslim and in particular Rohingya Muslims in Western Myanmar, uh, you know, in the bud but she did not. She went along and then like, you know, the, and I mean, like this, she ended up in fact uh, flying to, the Hague, the Netherlands, uh to uh defend the um the um armed forces of Myanmar and its conduct, which included uh mass rape and uh you know total uh scorch uh the genocidal destruction of Rohingya communities. Like, you know, uh the hundreds of villages uh were raised to the ground. Uh and also uh you know the the while she traveled to the International Court of Justice located in The Hague, she had never, um, you know, traveled to the Rohingya refugee camps along the Burmese-Bangladesh uh, border, uh, w- which would have been, you know, one hour f- uh, uh, flight from uh, the, the new capital, Nepeedal. Instead, she traveled, you know, uh, thousands of miles to the Netherlands to defend and deny genocide, and so i think I think like you know the, the, in, in my view like what she has done was completely unconscionable and uh, indefensible
0: you mentioned this some um, before um, that um, genocides are not uh, invettable, but they are created, some may think that you know humans have always fought this way, but anti human behavior is taught um, the ruling class side needs to um, um, develop racist ideology to create a racist atmosphere in order to in, in convince the people that other group of people are, are inhuman or inferior, and it's okay to do a horrific things to them. You know, can you speak to this kind of um, comment as well? That it's not human nature, and why these sort of genocides are ultimately um, human constructions?
4: Well, I mean, like I, I, I actually, I don't want to, uh you know, uh, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the frame the human behavior as human nature because, uh, you know, the, um, I mean, we were born as uh, basically like innocent babies, and, and you know, as uh, some of the uh, most uh, iconic uh, South African anti-apartheid leaders like you know Mandela or uh, the late uh, the Bishop Desmond Tutu. Uh, said like we 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 are taught to hate certain group or we are taught to love uh, uh, other groups so you know uh, this like uh, the, all of this uh, uh, you know racism hatred homophobia all these like you know the really damaging um, the attitudes and sentiments um that we learn we 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 are not gen- genetically endowed with hatred or love or you know anything, uh, the care for the environment or recklessness towards it. So we learn, and but the you know what makes genocides uh, you know different from having just uh, you know I, I'm not trying to like uh, diminish uh, the the uh, the significance of this uh, you know like a racial or uh, uh, gender prejudices right, but but we all learn to be prejudicial towards certain groups groups in society or, you know, groups around the world, or individuals with certain characteristics. But, but the you know, having prejudices does not necessarily lead population to participate in large-scale destruction, including killing, because genocides are not simply about killing, you know, like a large number of... Uh, um, uh, population and also you know the what distinguishes uh, um the genocides from other types of crimes is that uh the you know genocides c- can take place in peacetime or during the war uh, in the case of rohingya they had never been armed uh, in any significant way to fight back their oppressor, myanmar military or the buddhist majority and so the, the in the case of rohingya genocide you know genocide was um, you know planned in a very cold-blooded manner by the uh, military commanders and their uh this uh, you know highest level of uh, uh general staff including the um, the current uh, coup leader mayali um and so the, the the genocides were um you know crimes designed to attack a, a targeted population um solely because of their identity racial ethnic uh, religious uh and national identities and 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 often uh the you know the genocides were uh, targeted against the most uh, vulnerable members of the society and usually these are crimes committed against a group and so like if you happen to be a, a rohingya uh, whether you're a nice person, decent person, kind person, or bad person, it doesn't matter who you are as individual human. Uh, the human, what matters is you. You belong. You your membership in that community makes you a legitimate target for killing and destruction, rape and otherwise. And so I think the um, you know the the genocide. I mean, like uh, the ge- genocidal crimes. Have been found to have been committed, uh, you know, the, throughout the different historical periods, uh, you know, in, uh, there's using all kinds of religious ideologies, racial ideology, and you know, what not. And only the uh, fascism and Nazism and the, uh, the, the Nazi genocide or Holocaust, uh, is the most uh, systematic and the most, uh, you know, horrific uh, because uh, of uh, gas chambers and, you know, tra- transportation of um, uh, millions of uh, uh, vi- uh, uh, marked populations to different uh, uh, death and forced labor camps uh, across uh, Nazi-occupied Europe, but but no two genocides, uh, you know, look alike, and they don't have to, as long as the the killers, the perpetrators, um, plan and design a course of action that is meant to destroy in whole or in significant part um, a, a, the targeted population uh, on whatever ideological grounds. And so that, that usually, like, genocides are considered crimes of, um, you know, puppet or mobilized or orchestrated by political states. And this, you know, the, the key is to understand this is not – uh, um, the ho- homicide, it's not a crime of passion. There's a lot of planning, uh, mobilization of resources, uh, shaping public opinions, mobilization of hatred and racism, and also fear. And then finally, what's so fascinating is, uh, the, although the perpetrators are the ones who are carrying out, um, you know, mass, uh, the destruction, uh, including mass killings like Rwanda, uh, case, And, you know, they see their killings and destruction as self-defense. You know, the killers consider their act morally justified because they say we are defending our nation or race or faith or territory or population. And so this is rather psychologically warped uh, type of crime when Killers and the population of perpetrators feel that all their atrocious behavior is justified morally because, the, you know, they are mounting a defensive action. You know, the, the same all across geno- uh, uh, genocidal cases uh, from Nazis or Armenian genocide or the um, Ranger genocide committed by my own, um, you know, country, both the military, Aung San Suu Kyi's party, and the majoritarian public.
2: We'd like to thank you, Mongzani, for taking the time to speak with us. Before we wrap up the interview, is there anything else you would like to share with us and our listeners? Well,
4: we need to be like uh, aware that, uh, you know, that, that we are living in a world where, um, you know, uh, the, uh, <coughs> you know, the dominant, uh, you know, economic and political forces are, shaping public, global public opinions, uh, uh, opinions of different national populations uh, along the, um, you know, uh, far-right values or perspectives of, you know, some of the biggest and most powerful countries in the world, uh, you know, are moving in the far-right direction from China, uh, you know, militaristic, uh, the bellicose, um, you know, to, uh, India, like a Modi's government, is Hindutva, uh, using Hinduism as an ideology, but which is in fact, uh, you know, fascism uh, against a minority, particularly Muslims in, in India. Uh, the, you know, India has the largest Muslim population in the world. Then um, the United States, like Donald Trump, remains very popular, and you know, the uh, the Make America Great. And in parts of Europe is scary. Like my, The country I'm a citizen of, uh, Great Britain, has an extremely vile and, uh, you know, fascist regime. Uh, even, Ahmad, um, you know, Philip Sands, uh, one of the leading scholars and lawyers of genocide and crimes against humanity in London, um, you know, recently <laughs> uh, tweeted that like national conservatism, that the uh, the current government of Rishi Sunak and Suella Braverman uh are promoting um that resembles or sounds um like a national s- socialism that uh, the uh, the Nazi Germany in the 1930s uh was promoting and so i think that we need to be uh, working together uh, across um uh, national and ethnic and religious uh, lines uh, that we need to realize that, uh, that, you know, this kind of like far-right ideology, um, the mobilization of like hatred and racism, uh, based on our colors or faith or gods, uh, poses, uh, one of the greatest uh, threats to our human existence, um, you know, uh, uh, beyond uh, ecological uh, crises.
2: Well, thanks, uh, Dr. Mangzani. We, we do need to wrap up the interview, but we really appreciate you taking the time to come on our show. And we know it's late there as well. So, um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank
4: you so much. and It's really a pleasure uh, talking to you.
2: So uh, for listeners just tuning in, that was Dr. Mangzani. Uh, who is a Burmese activist speaking out against the Rohingya genocide and against the military military repression there? And he will be one of the speakers at the Eco Socialism Conference, speaking about uh, the Myanmar Spring Revolution um, and the Rohingya genocide. That will be on Sunday, the 2nd of July at 10 a.m. in Solidarity Hall at Trades Hall.
0: Okay, um, so um, just to um, wrap up the program, um, to wrap up what we just did, well, we'll sort of follow up with a song. We'll play. Um, this is from a, a, a band based in actually in Burma, and it's titled and it's by Rebel Riot, and it's um, and the song is aptly um, titled Genocide. Um, so we'll be playing this for the next two minutes before moving on to our next interview. You are listening to Green Left Radio on Free CR eight five five AM. You were just listening to um, Rebel Riot um, with their song titled Genocide. Now, um, you're, jo- we're, you're back on Green Left Radio on FreeCR, and um, we've actually just gone straight into our um, putting in our second interview on the line. Um, so we're very happy to be joined by um, Manbir uh, um, Kohli, um, a member of the Indian community who is based in Sydney, um, and he's actually also um, a fellow... Um, Community radio presenter um, based in Sydney as well. Um, he broadcasts the Hinglish language program Kanta uh, Sunte on eight nine FM at uh, on Thursdays eight to ten pm. And of course, he has a, um, interest in Indian and Australian politics. Um, so yeah, good morning, Manbir.
5: Good morning, Jacob. Nice to talk to you.
0: Okay, um, so just to give our listeners a bit of background, we ha- we're having a discussion with a man to so- have a bit of a kind of discussion, to give a bit of a, I guess to give a bit of a response, I, I guess a bit, give a bit of a counter narrative to Modi's kind of visit, who was kind of, you know, given a kind of, kind of glowing kind of reception, um, when he visited uh, Australia recently. In fact, he's already come back to, he's already back to India, um, from his um, Twitter page. Um, and I guess to kind of start off, I guess, the discussion, um, Modi has visited Australia, and he was met, you know, with this glowing kind of reception, including Australian politicians openly shaking hands with Modi. And, of course, there was a lot of talk about their uh, um, praising their kind of shared uh, values and their response, and, of course, but nothing to kind of say about any of the sort of human rights abuses of of the Modi government. And I guess, um, Manbir, what do you kind of, to give your response, what do you believe is really the kind of real track record of the Modi government?
5: Um, look, uh, thank you for this opportunity, first Jacob. And the Modi government came in with a lot of promise. Um, it it had the, the sorry, I'm just getting an echo, sorry. <laughs> just uh, so with the with the earlier government, the Congress government, there had been a lot of economic scams. Uh, there was uh, political scams happening, and this had been going on for a few decades. Uh, so when the BJP the party that Mr. Modi belongs to, uh, put up their hand and were uh, touring the country uh, talking about corruption and how there was black money and he would bring the black money back, etc., etc. There was a lot of hope when uh, the people voted them in in 2014. Now, unfortunately, what happened was that uh, they The election manifesto says very good things about what they would plan to do. They were planning on sharing the fruits of progress with everybody. There would be equality of justice. But the BJP belongs to uh, a thinking that India belongs to the large Hindu majority. And the others, like Christians and Muslims, are outsiders and do not deserve equal treatment. Uh, This was in the background, but many people didn't see that. Uh, They voted them in. Uh, In the initial euphoric stages, there was a lot of hope. But over time, what we've seen is that there has been uh, a dwindling, uh, you know, a a scuttling away of uh, human rights. They've been targeting uh, minorities, and they've got this huge army of uh, an IT cell that generates false narratives. Uh, And there have been lynching of uh, Muslims uh, who who have been alleged to be carrying beef, which is banned. Uh, And and generally, there is uh, an ignorance. Mr. Modi sort of doesn't say anything when such events are happening, and he turns a blind eye. So it encourages these violent mobs or the right-wing crazy guys who go out and um, tarnish uh, the, the image of the minorities, they hurt minority elements. That's what's been happening. Uh, but again, there's a lot of dog whistling going on. So you cannot exactly pin uh, the blame on Mr. Modi for making any blatant statements. Though he has said that, so he's spoken about protesters, and he says you can identify the protesters through their clothes, which means you know the way that people, a certain religious group dresses. So obviously that demonizes a, a large section of society. The way they've been handling protests is, again, something that leaves much to be desired. Uh, any protest or any opposition to uh, their narrative is seen or shown as anti-national, that if you're not with the BJP, the ruling party, or with Mr. Modi, then you are against the country. And that's a very, very dangerous fascist idea, that uh, if you oppose us, you're against the country. Uh, There has been uh, a battling away of uh, press freedoms. Uh, The the Press Freedom Index puts India at 161 uh, against 180 countries this year, and we were only about 150 last year. So there's been a gradual slide and a perceptible slide in press freedom. Uh, Journalists are being targeted in case they ask difficult questions. Uh, so that's why there are no uh, nothing is uh, being uncovered by the media there is a compliant media uh, that that uh, this party has created they uh, give them a sort of uh, government sponsorship goes to some of these selected channels who just mouth who, who are just mouthpieces of the government so uh, all in all we see uh, you know there's a there's a tightening of the news around press freedom uh, protests are being uh, limited. I, I wouldn't say that you can't protest in India, but but if you do, uh, the, the trolls come after you. Uh, the, the entire narrative is changed to you being sponsored from foreign countries rather than standing up for your rights. For instance, we've got the, the Indian wrestlers who are protesting as we speak in Delhi. Uh, these are women wrestlers, uh, wrestlers, some of whom have uh, won Olympic medals. Uh, they are protesting against uh, a certain minister, a sports minister, who is alleged to have sexually assaulted them. And it's just falling on deaf ears. So even such celebrated people are being demonized by the, the trolls, by the narrative that, no, these people belong to the opposition. They've been paid by the opposition. So nobody's listening. Mr Modi is very silent about his own minister who's in the middle of this Huge sexual assault charge, but uh, nothing seems to be happening. He hasn't been suspended. He's still there. So, protesting uh, is clamped down on. Uh, there's no freedom for the press. Minorities are being demonized that if you don't control these minorities, the majority, 80% of Hindus, are at risk. So, that's what has happened in the last nine years. And, of course, uh, uh, the opposite view is also shared by uh, people who are very uh, loyal supporters of Mr. Modi, who say, "Now nah, there's nothing wrong here. It's all good. You're mm-hmm. the, you are the problem. Uh, and uh, that's a funny situation because nobody's asking the minorities how you're feeling, but the majority is deciding nah, we are not uh, curtailing minority rights. <laughs> so yeah. it's quite a funny yeah.
2: Yeah, thanks. Thanks, um, Manbi. It's Chloe also here on the show. And just talking about minorities, what are your comments on Modi's government, uh, the Modi government's discrimination towards the Muslim community and also other marginalized community within India? If you could speak a bit about them and the brutality of the bulldozer justice as well.
5: Yeah, um, so I don't know if it's a coincidence, but uh, some of the biggest problems uh, Legislative changes that uh, that this government has brought in uh, are working against the Muslims. For example, uh, I mean, uh, to their credit, it was in the election manifesto that, uh, you know, they would take away Article 370 from uh, a Muslim-dominated state in India called uh, Jammu and Kashmir. And Article 370 gave special status to that state uh, to that state now this was part of the election manifesto a lot of people agree with that decision but just the way that it was pushed through uh, there was no uh, in the election manifesto it said that they would consult all the stakeholders but it was just pushed through uh, Parliament uh, with a brute majority there was no discussion uh, then they brought in the anti-citizenship uh, rights uh, th- these are for people who are escaping persecution from uh, countries based on their religion and they willfully excluded muslims from that they they said if somebody is a hindu and escaping persecution from uh, say pakistan they can gladly apply to india and say hey uh, can you please uh, give me protection can you uh, take me into the country and they would easily be done but if they were muslim they would be denied that right now uh, and and then they want to uh, implement the National Register of Citizenship, which is uh, in a way saying that if you're Muslim, uh, you might have to produce uh, uh, documents to prove that that your parents came here 70 years ago. So it's really, really hard. In a country that uh, that doesn't have paperwork, it's very hard to have. You know, there are, there are people who uh, can't afford to get paperwork, and uh, these are, say, slum dwellers or people who are... Uh, you know, living day-to-day. So to ask them to produce paperwork is going to be very difficult. So some of these uh, acts or legislation that uh, the government implemented seems to be going against the Muslims. And uh, that's what uh, is a perception now, that uh, that this government is anti-Muslim. And it also um, comes on the back of Mr. Modi's history. Uh, in 2002, he was the chief minister which is like our premier of a of a large prosperous state called Gujarat. Um, they had all, and, and let's let's be honest. There's always been simmering underground tension between the Hindus and the Muslims uh, in India for centuries. I mean, it's not something that's just happened in the last ten years. It's always been simmering, but uh, but it appears that this government has brought out that uh, simmering tension into the open and. Some of their uh, elements that they like to call fringe elements, who are not fringe anymore, uh, a free reign. So there's no check on them. Uh, so some of these actions are uh, giving the perception that uh, the BJP is anti-Muslim. So they will say no, and uh, uh, but but the reality is uh, not that.
0: Um. We, um, I want to go into a kind of question. We're going to probably skip one question that we sort of had prepared, um, just yep. because I think don't, don't think we sort of have time. And I think this is the question where um, we're sort of more, um, I think we it is more of greater interest. Um, I guess I want to hear some of your comments around, I guess, the attitude of I guess the Indian diaspora within Australia, I guess, towards in um, towards Modi. I mean, obviously there was more than kind of 20,000 who attended uh, Modi's welcome event, but of course...
5: perfect. There, there weren't 20,000 people, but anyway, that's another...
0: Um, but yeah, ba- but basically, do you, what is your kind of comments on this, you know, do you think this is reflective of kind of majority opinion, or I guess, or is it kind of more complicated than that?
5: No, I, I would agree that it's more complicated, but yes, there is a sizable size of uh, the expat population in Australia uh, who, who subscribe to his... Uh, viewpoint, which is quite a uh, ironical contradiction because they live here in Australia. They've left India because of the conditions there. And uh, they've come here and they expect uh, to be treated equally with you know uh, equal rights to protest, to do everything. But they seem to want to deny those rights to the people back in India, which is quite a contradiction. And uh, some of these attitudes have divided the expat community here. And uh, it it can be quite vicious at times. And, and you've been seeing those uh, vandalisms of the temples that have been happening uh, across across Australia. So there have been, uh, some temples have been vandalized with graffiti, uh, there have been signs put up against Mr. Modi's visit. So, so there is a lot of division in the community. And uh, unfortunately, that's uh, evolved in the last few years. Uh, prior to that, the indian community presented a, a united front uh, they worked and celebrated together but now there are splinter groups and uh, people are just uh, you know uh, there are there are whatsapp groups that people are fighting in uh, that's leading divisions in families and friends so i would blame put that blame at the at the at the feet of this uh, government for uh, engendering that or not uh, stepping in and stopping it
2: are there any final comments that you would like to make, Manbir, before we wrap up the interview today?
5: Uh, look, I think uh, you know, India has uh, progressed very well it's, uh, in, in the 75 years. It, uh, it should be the third largest economy in a few years. It's done very well in a, on a lot of things. Uh, it's, the process of liberalisation started in 1991 and uh, India has blossomed. Uh, and and the fruits of that uh, progress, the economic progress have been uh, you know sort of taken up by this government claiming that they are the ones that have made that uh, transition possible while it's a work in progress and and uh, but at the same time, there has been a damage to the social fiber to the social fabric of that country and it's it's uh, traveled overseas too. so the expat community is in in the uk in canada in usa they are as equally or even more viciously divided so i think that is something that needs to stop uh, uh in, in indians are you know they contribute to uh, wherever they go quite well uh, but somehow they, they are also bringing this uh, negativity and pessimism and viciousness against uh, some minorities and i think that's got to stop
0: all right. Well, thank you very much, Manbir. I think this has actually been a very good, um, a very good, informative interview, and I think it's been a, a very good discussion. So, thank you very much for being on thank our you. program. Thank you, Jacob
2: and Polly. Thank you. Thank
0: you. All right. So, we're just speaking to um, Manbir um, Kohli, um, Kohi, Oh, yeah, that's it. Um, and who is a member of the Indian community that is based in um, Sydney. And so, we just had a bit of a kind of discussion with him, and he gave a bit of a guess, a sort of counter narrative. Um, to this sort of um, glowing kind of reception that just Modi had just received in his kind of visit to kind of Australia. And... um one question we didn't really get to ask is we didn't get to talk to him about his comments on the Australian government's kind of cosy relationship with Modi and the Indian government as a whole. Um, but I guess we, that is something we'll probably get to explore in, on future kind of programs. Um, especially since, you know, I think as socialists, I think we do sort of have, you know, we do have a bit of a kind of answer to that in a sense that, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the perspectives that I would kind of argue is that the reason why the Australian government has such a cosy relationship with India is that India is one of the largest, as he kind of concluded, it is one of the largest sort of economies um, in the world. Uh, Indian students provide, um, Indian migration, you know, is a big sort of asset in terms of the in terms of the kind of Australian economy. But then there's that element, and of course that's why Modi had obviously all these meetings with business leaders, universities, etc. While I was here to kind of secure that sort of economic sort of relationship. But here's the other, uh, the other element, and I think this is a, one of the biggest concerns that we have to be worried about. But basically, the whole Quad meeting that I guess sort of happened in Japan, it was supposed to be happening last week. Basically, Australia is very, very keen on having uh india as a key ally in their sort of efforts to contain um china economically and also to potentially prepare for some kind of war um and also um to uh, to utilize them as part of the war drive against against china so yeah those are some of the kind of geopolitical kind of things i think that are sort of happening in the background that we'll definitely kind of explore and analyze more analyze more anyway i'll just play a quick announcement um you're listening to green left radio on free cr 855 a.m
2: Are you feeling depressed about the future of our planet? The Eco-Socialism 2023 conference could address your worries by providing a platform for radical solutions. Activists from around the world will examine the links between the ecological, economic and political crises of our time. You'll hear from Japanese Marxist Kohei Saito, author of Capital in the Anthropocene, who argues that capitalism's pursuit of unlimited growth and profits the major barrier to ecological sustainability. Inspirational speakers from the Asia Pacific region, including India, Pakistan, and the Philippines, will take up the fight for climate justice and against war and fascism. Eco socialism also highlights women's and queer oppression, First Nations sovereignty, and so much more, including a session featuring former refugee Baruz Bachani. For more information and bookings, go to our website,
1: ecosocialism.org.au. Ecosocialism 2023, A World Beyond Capitalism, Saturday July 1 to Sunday July 2 at Victorian Trades Hall.
2: A 3CR supporter.
0: you you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM and um actually it's time to we'll get to play a quick song before we go into the Green Left Access card. so I'll get Chloe to sort of introduce it
2: oh yeah by the way shout out to Matt Ward who's who writes for Green Left and suggests all these great songs for us to play this is a Tamil song from the album Tharakural a sing, it's it's a song called Anti Indian by a Dalit rapper who uses hip-hop to fight caste oppression. And Dalits are at the bottom of the caste system in India, so we thought uh, it's a it's a song in Tamil. If people protest on the streets for their rights, the right-wing BJP government would call them anti-Indian. So this is a song about that.
6: Anti Indian Yenna, who to put up a chaika with Nabunaki, anti Indian Yenna, who may pull money then, Yen Asakalum Kanabukalumini man, Kanuni Kodani, Yenna, take it the Yen take the Yen for a large <laughs> Put a young mother, Talger, Parapa, Ariba, Lakutu, Lanberita, Gay, Urdu, Lanberita, Gay, Mirata, Lake, of the the தமிழர்களா இந்தியர்களா மலையாளிகளாங்கிறது முக்கியம் கிடையாது நாம் மனிதர்கள் வெறும் மனிதர்கள் அப்படிங்கிறதுதான் சோ மனிதம் மட்டுமே நிலையானது மனிதம் மட்டுமே நிரந்தரமானது சக மனிதனை மனிதனாய் மனித சோ அது நான் அந்த i un...
2: You're back listening to 3CR Green Left Radio and you just heard a song called Anti-Indian by Ofra and Arivu. And that was the live version. And just to translate the, the lyrics for you, it was in Tamil. It's uh, The lyrics go, What? Are you calling me anti-Indian? I'm only human like you. My hopes and dreams destroyed by you. Close your eyes. Hear my story. You ravaged my land, burnt my house, brought war into my forest. History is full of your deceit, and you call me the, the traitor. Sorry, my rapping is not. that that great but uh yeah we we get our music suggestions from matt ward who writes a column for green left and the latest one is called 10 new albums to get you on the streets and you can download or stream matt ward's latest album based on protest chants why i protest and it's free for a limited time so thanks matt for all the great work that you do and also just to just on that um we just, you know, we're, we're trying to promote our eco-socialism 2023 conference over July uh, July 1st to July 2nd here in, in Melbourne. And Clifton Desario, who's a central leader of the Communist Party of India, Marxist-Leninist Liberation, the CPI ML, he'll be visiting Australia to address the conference, and he's actually involved in un- unionising Dalit sanitation workers and their struggle for greater rights.
0: And, um, yeah, we'll also be, we'll also be doing a Green Left kind of podcast with him. Um, and I think the recording date is going to be, um, before our program. So we'll hopefully be able to play it on our program next Friday. Um, so yeah, um, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to, um, hearing from Clifton. And, um, he's also going to be, um, he'll, in addition to be speaking about the whole question around caste and class in politics in Of india he'll also be speaking on a panel against AUKUS, because, as we sort of implied before, um, India is kind of a central country in terms of this whole war drive against um, against uh, against china and so we 're going to be, be hearing actually from a you know a principled socialist left wing kind of perspective on you know how how socialists in India are actually kind of, uh, attempting to kind of build resistance against um Modi's um alignment with the United States and 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 the imperialist sort of powers. Okay. Um now just a, a la- one other thing just to note is um the radio fund is um going to be starting at uh, in June and um they have a target of over $275,000. Um you know, we have I think it's very important that we keep community radio on the air and you know um for those um to get your pockets sort of ready when the radio font kind of starts, and I think we're going to hope to kind of raise as much money as, we, as possible for our programs. Um, so, yeah, all the 3CR um, programs are going to be in fundraising mode in, in June, and I think, you know, it's very important to keep Community Radio on Air because, you know, it's where you can get the, you can get the sides, like, the, you know, all the kind of – you know, for our whole program, we've actually covered things that are actually not covered in the kind of mainstream media and within the kind of mainstream sort of discourse. So, Yeah. All right, I'm just going to go play a quick few uh, announcements. Um, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM.
2: 3CR's annual Radiothon fundraiser launches in June. We need your
4: financial
1: support to be independent, community controlled and focused on
0: people rather than profits.
2: Your support during Radiothon keeps the station
1: radical and enables us to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year.
4: And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference and all donations over $2 are tax deductible.
2: 3CR Radiothon. Show your support during June 2023 3CR Stay tuned Stay radical
0: Mainstream media is not interested in this stuff. It doesn't find space to talk truthfully and deeply about issues that affect all Australians. The only place, predominantly, you will find that
6: with any real depth is on community radio, and 3CR has been one of the great leaders in that. So
0: if people are wondering where they should spend their hard-earned cash, I would suggest 3CR's a bloody good place to start. What your
6: name we got the hell. Lots of changes, we need more problems.
0: Alright. You're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. And so we are joined, um, today, um, by Margaret Kelly, um, who is, uh, a resident at the Barrack Beacon Public Housing Estate. And she has lived here for more than 25 years. And just to give a bit of background, we actually did interview Margaret Kelly, uh, around a few months ago. And basically, Barrack Beacon is, is a, is a public housing estate um, that's in in the in Port Melbourne, and basically it is basically at threat by the state government of of demolition. And in fact, it's all linked to the fact, and we've been covering this consistently on our program. You know, the link, it's linked with you know the, the you know the state government, the state labour government's attempt to sort of privatise and you know basically in a sense destroy public housing. And there's actually also going to be a rally for Barrack Beacon, which we are going to be talking to Margaret about as well. Um, so good morning, Margaret.
1: Hi. Thanks for having me.
0: Um, so, what can you, um, can you just give us a guess, uh, I guess an update on what is, I guess, the current, current kind of situation with Barrack Beacon right now?
1: Okay. Well, there's still probably half a dozen households here. Um, all of them are actually waiting for Homes Victoria to come up with suitable housing for them. Um, Myself, I am here because I am just refusing to move. Um, we're approaching demolition date. Uh, they say they're starting in June, so that's next week. Uh, we have um, a rally coming up this Saturday on site. Um which has been organised by the Greens, so we're happy for their support. Um, we are hoping, no, not hoping. We have given the homes Victoria the alternative of plans to renovate at a much lower cost than demolish, but at this point they don't seem to be interested.
0: Hmm. And yeah. I guess that kind of gets into the question. I mean, I mean, why, why? What, the government is, clear, is, is, is sort of offering, I guess, sort of alternative sort of public sort of housing or alternative other, community housing or, or whatever. And I guess from the perspective of a lot of, of, of a tenant like yourself, why do you think this is completely kind of inadequate?
1: Right. Uh, well, first of all, most of what they're offering, they're actually putting people in private rentals because they don't have any public or community housing options available. Um, so they're scattered all the way from here to Brighton um, in private rentals. Many of them are hoping they'll come back after the redevelopment. But on their other redevelopments, you know, five or six years later, there's still no social housing built. So, you know, um, it, it's like there's what they say they're doing and then... There's the history of what actually happens on other redevelopment sites, um, so I would not be holding my breath to come back here.
0: <laughs> and um, can you give us? Can you give us some um, um, for our listeners? Can you give us? You know, um, you talked about the action before, but can you just um, tell us about the upcoming action on Saturday with the kind of exact details? So okay. and why it's important for people to come along.
1: And then there is a second action which will be on Thursday, June the 1st, in the city. Um, So, the one uh, at Barrett Beacon on Saturday, uh, the main rally is at 12pm on the corner of Boulevard and Barrett Barrett Road, uh, which is an area near where I live. Um, In Port Melbourne, there'll be a number of... Speakers there, and I, including Samantha Ratnam, Catherine Cotsey, our local MLC, and I believe Adam Bent may be coming, um, which is wonderful. The Greens have supported us when uh, other parties have not been interested. So we're having five to eight on today. We're having a banner making and pizza party party at the Sandridge Trugo Club, and then tomorrow there'll be a morning tea at eleven, and at twelve PM there'll be the rally. So please come.
0: And um, um, yeah, and to just give um, for a final kind of question, and just uh, for for our listeners, I guess you know why do you think well, um, why for you personally that you're going to keep fighting to stay at Barrack Beacon, and you know why it's so important.
1: OK, I think that what they're doing here is just a land grab. Most of what will be built here will be market rental Um, and the small amount of social housing will not be public housing. It will be privatised community housing. Um, The government is... That's what the government is doing at all the sites under the big housing bill, and it's privatisation of public housing. Um, they're very kind of secretive about what they're doing. They use very general terms like social and affordable housing, and people assume they're building public housing, but no public public housing is being torn down and replaced with private housing.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much. Um, Thank you very much, um, Margaret. And, yeah, all the solidarity to you um, in terms of your fight. I think some of us are going to be coming up to the action um, tomorrow. I think Chloe...
2: Margaret, uh, Chloe here also on the call. Um, We'll we'll be there tomorrow at the action. I'm really glad it's going ahead, and we hope that you and other residents get to keep your home. Thank
1: you. Thank you very much, Chloe. Um, And can I I just add, on June 1st, we will have another rally for Barrack Beacon on Parliament Steps at 12
3: p.m. Wonderful.
1: So if you can't make it today or tomorrow, there's more opportunities.
2: <laughs> June 1st, Parliament Steps at 12 p.m. Yes. Great. Thank, Thank you for announcing that, Margaret. See you tomorrow.
1: Yes. Thank you. See you. Bye.
0: Okay. Alright, so just to give, um, give our listeners information, um, you, the, um, rally for Barrack Beacon will be, um, Protect Public Homes will be happening at the corner of Barrack Road and the Boulevard in Port Melbourne. Um, I think you can get public, you can sort of get public transport there through the Route 109, which, you, um, which goes to Port Melbourne. And it, um, and you can, um, yeah, you can get it from the Route 109. Um, and um, which, which is which is the stop on Collins Street. It's also the stop you can use to get to um, Free CR as well for if you go mm. into the other direction. And um, yeah, and there's apparently going to be a morning tea as well at 11am, but the actual rally starts at 12 o'clock. So yeah, I think it's going to be very important um, to get down there. And I think, you know, we, I think it's, there's a lot, of, uh, I want to give a lot of credit to the bravery of, you know, someone like Margaret mm-hmm. Kelly, who's, you know, standing by for someone who's lived there for more than 25 years. And I think it's also, it raises a very important point that, you know, we always raise about public housing. You know, a lot of the C R programs have been raising this point, but, you know, public housing actually creates this kind of sense of um, community and, um you know, it does and I think, you know, the fact that the government is so committed to privatising Australia. Australian public housing. In fact, I'm actually working on a Green Left article where I'm going to be kind of responding to that, but also putting in the context of this Housing Australia fund uh, mm-hmm. that, the, that, the, that the government is actually pushing in place of investing in public housing. Um, so, yeah, I'll just go play a quick announcement. You're listening to Green Left Radio.
6: Contact us at Books and Boots or go to the website, www.booksandboots.org.au.
5: We love a good book.
0: All right you're listening to green left radio on free cr 855 am and you know we've had such a packed program but we've managed to fit in quite a bit of songs as well to break up the program as well we'll get around to doing the green left Actives calendar which we usually sort of do at 8 a.m but i'll just sort of play a, a quick song um by david Robix um and it's called um the, the title is um topic um which is that's no, um, it's,
2: it's, it, the title is just a renter
0: just, just a, a renter
2: many
0: things about gentrification and the misery of being a renter <laughs> well, be quite fitting um, Oh yeah excuse sorry I accidentally read I read I read um I read the the you the, the his YouTube um account instead instead of what the actual song was It's Just a Renter by Rowick. so yep yeah, hope listeners enjoy. 10000 yuppies
3: just from here 10,000 others came last year. The rent has doubled since I moved in. Each month I take it on the chin. Each month I wonder, how many more can I stay in Portland before, before I move into my car or end up somewhere behind bars? 10,000 yuppies say don't complain now that the city is in the fast lane. It's just a market, and it knows best. That's how the bankers built the West. So just get rich, and you can stay. Otherwise, just go away. There's no room here for us holding on under the bus. I'm just a renter. This ain't my town. Might as well just burn it down. I don't care. Think it's great to invest in Portland real estate. Keep Portland weird, they like to say. But that was over yesterday. Of oh, their achievements, they're so proud. Living lives in some cloud. But unlimited data will get you nowhere. If you can't afford to care, I'm just a renter. This ain't my town. Might as well just burn it down. I care I care. Ten thousand yuppies, and on each block, they're flipping houses and taking stock. Where's the next place they can transform? Tents and mansions, the new norm. They like TED Talks. They like greed. They like wine bars. They like weed. They like bike lanes. They want more. They're the face of the new class war. I'm just a renter. This ain't my town. Might as well just burn.
0: All right, that was Kill... Well, not Kill a Renter, Just a Renter <laughs> um, by David Rovix. Um, kind of. Oh, well, I mean, in the end, that's what landlords thinks, so... <laughs> um, now, we're getting into... We're, we're, we sort Actually, of... I just
2: wanted to mention that that song, one of the writers for Green left, Kamala Emanuel. She's actually on tour with with David Rovix. Um, or I don't know if the tour's still going ahead, but, yeah, it's part of the recent Killing the Messenger tour of Australia. So I just thought I'd add...
0: All right. So um, I'm going to go, we'll go through, uh, we'll just go give a, a bit of highlight to some event. I'm sorry, I'm just getting the calendar sort of open up. We're getting actually to the kind of end of the program, actually, but we'll just give a bit of a plug to a few events that are coming up. So there's actually going to be film screening of Rocking the Foundations, um, which is very cool which is a very good film. It's been organized by the Community Defence League and Earthworker. Um it's gonna be happening at 6 p.m. at the new international bookshop um tonight. Um then on Saturday there's gonna be um Rally for Barrack Beacon, Protect Public Homes at twelve from twelve to one PM. And then at eleven AM outside Parliament House, there's gonna um outside in the Palm um, Parliament Gardens, I think, near Parliament House. There's going to be, um, the Slow March for the Climate by Extinction Rebellion. That's going to be at 11am as part of the Occupy for Climate. And then, um, and then there's going to be a public forum, um, by Refugee Action Collective on Monday. Uh, Refugee Children, Why is Australia So Cruel? And that's going to be happening at 6.30pm at the Kathleen Syme Library and Community Centre, 251 Faraday Street. And it's organised by Refugee Action Collective. Then an important rally, which we'll probably have an interview with, um, short, um, soon. Um, there's a rally for accessible tram stops, make Sydney Road accessible for all. And that's going to be at 11 a.m. and meeting at the open space corner of Sydney Road and Wilson Avenue, Brunswick. And it's close to B- Barkley Square shopping centre. And then on Saturday, June 24th, there's going to be the Rock for Refugees at 7.30 p- p.m. at the Howler at 11 Dawson Street. And it's organised by Refugee Action Collective. Um, and then there's going to be, uh, then there's going to be, obviously, I want to give a bit of a plug to the conference, um, Eco Socialism 2023, a world beyond capitalism at the trades hall 54 Victoria Street in Carlton. Um, and that's, um, the, the full agenda is actually almost going to be up. In fact, um, uh, me and Chloe sort of part of organising the conference and we've actually just confirmed, um, Lydia Thorpe as a speaker for, Mm. for the conference. Um, so yeah, the full agenda, a lot of the descriptions of the agenda and the different speakers are actually up on the website. So if you go to ecosocialism.org.au, you can start to see what the, what the conference is actually, um, going to be kind of offering. Um, and then um, a few other things. If you live, happen to live in Geelong, there's going to be a World Environment Day rally, No New Coal and Gas, at 11am at the Carousel at, in Geelong Waterfront on Sunday, June the 4th. And then on Wednesday, June the 28th, there's going to be a uh, Red Cinema Presents The Road to War, a film by David Bradbury um, featuring, um, featuring David Bradbury. And it's going to be at the Geelong Trades Hall, 127 Meyer Street in, um, in Geelong. And the event is by Green Left and Socialist Alliance Geelong. Okay, um, so it's eight twenty-seven a.m. Um, so, um, Chloe, do you have any sort of final words, like comments you sort of want to make?
2: Oh, just thank you for for listening and think about becoming a supporter of Green Left if you're not already, or if you you know if you like our work, make sure you like, subscribe, share, share everything, and give generously to the three CR uh, Radiothon that's coming up if you want to keep people like us on air.
0: And um, I just want to give also another kind of plug to the Radiophon, um, because I think, you know, we'll, um, FreeCR, it's going to be very important to think raise funds for FreeCR. And I think, you know, going through some of the actions, I mean, some of the kind of important... I just want to give a summary of some of the kind of important kind of issues. I mean, I was sort of watching Q&A on, on Monday, um, which was actually... You know, had a number of sort of politicians from the ALP, um, to the Greens. It had Max chatham who who actually, who's, I think it's actually playing a really good role mm. in, in Parliament. And, um, anyway, it's sort of clear that, you know, most politicians are really not willing to address fundamental issues like the housing crisis. Uh, they're committing more than $368 billion in nuclear-powered submarines. Um, and then, of course, the, at the same time, they're also, um, they're also, you know, in terms of the climate crisis, they're kind of actively sort of making the, the kind of problem kind of worse. And I think the Extinction Rebellion sort of occupied for the climate is actually going to be quite important in that sense. Um, and I think, you know, it's going on kind of right now. And I think, you know, I think it's going to be very, I think, um, yeah, I think we're in for some hard times. And I think that's why it's very important to keep things like free CR and green left um, going as the kind of alternative media that gives the voice of the oppressed, but also gives Gives the, the perspectives of the active resistance who, is, who are actually fighting for a better world free of oppression. All right. You're listening to Green Left Radio. i like to thank our listeners. And,
2: and also our guests, uh, Monzani, I uh, Margaret Kelly, and also... Oh, sorry. I've um, lost the name of the... <laughs> Uh, um, Manbhya Singh Koli, thank you very much for being on the show.
0: All right. Now we'll go play the outro and we'll go to Left After Breakfast.
2: This brings us to the end of the
1: show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio, brought to you by Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which brings an alternative source of information that puts people and planet
2: before profit.
0: If you like our work, become a supporter from $5 per month at greenleft.org.au slash support or free call 1-800-634-206.
4: Arise, you workers from their stummers. Arise, you prisoners of want. For reason in revolt now
0: thunders and it last since the age of Cannes. Away with all your superstitions, serve all masses, arise. We'll change henceforth the old tradition
4: and spurn the dust to win the prize. That's right, the, the commies, commies are, back. are back. Reds underneath your beds and that like crack.